0: Thanks, worship team. Hey, can I tell you an inside uh, story here? Um, I'm sort of the Rodney Dangerfield on the staff. I don't know if you've noticed that. (laughs) Pastor Rick and Pastor Jason uh, have their act uh, together. And I hope this doesn't uh, diminish from uh, the uh, communion table this morning. But if you look right up here behind the uh, bread tray You'll remember about a year ago, I did this uh, communion service and I uh, rearranged the order. We did the cup first and we did the bread first, which was okay, but it got a little awkward for the upstairs. Well, I asked the elders for some help today, and so they put a little sign there to tell me that the bread was first, and then Olin came over and made sure he handed me something to know that the bread was first. So It's just so great to be surrounded by people like that. But... Uh Wonderful, that's sort of the the, the rest of the story, huh? Would you open your Bibles to 2 Timothy? We're making our way through this passage, and we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. We've got five verses. I don't know if Rick did that on purpose to keep this thing short because it's 4th of July weekend, but I think we can do that. I think we can cover five verses in 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and let's just start by reading through this passage together. Paul is writing, and he says, starting in verse 1, "...in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge." And here's the charge. "...preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for..." Um, it's not always safe to listen in to other people's mail, and that's kind of the way I feel about this passage this morning. It reminds me of the of the story the, the comedian tells about the Minnesota couple that uh, had decided in the middle of January that it was time for them to thaw out and so they headed for Florida. Now, because they were a busy couple, they couldn't uh, make their flights on the same schedule, so the husband arrived in Florida the first day, and then the wife was going to arrive in Florida on the second day, and when the husband arrived, sure enough, he checked into this uh, hotel. He discovered that there was a computer in his room, and so he thought, well, I'll just email my wife, and so he typed out a little note to his wife and wasn't even thinking about it, you know, guys do this, our fingers are a little bit clumsy. He mistyped the email address, and he pushed send without checking. Well, seconds later, somewhere in Houston, a widow was returning from a funeral, her husband's funeral, and she was checking emails at home from family and friends, and among them, she found an email that read, to my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. Sweetheart, I know you're surprised to hear from me, they have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I just arrived and have checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uninventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> You get the point. You gotta be real careful reading other people's mail. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 4, is it gives me kind of that feeling. I've used this passage before, and almost always it's a sermon by a preacher to a preacher, which is the way it was originally written. Paul is writing to Timothy, and if I were outlining this for preachers, there, there are basically five commands that are given here. The first command is in verse two. He just says, preach the word. Command number one. Well, if you're speaking to preachers, you can get away with that. And then he says, now when you preach the word, be prepared is the second command I have in my translation. So that's command two, okay guys, be prepared to preach the word. And then commands three, four, and five, correct, rebuke, encourage and then he gives the reason why all that's necessary later on that's that's a simple enough sermon for preachers But you know the question is when a group like this comes to a passage like this written by a preacher to a preacher You don't want to hear preacher talk What we want to know is how in the world does a passage like this apply to us? Uh, I thought that as I looked through the passage, it just seems to me that uh, actually, if we look between the lines, if we look behind the scenes, that that there really are four things here uh, that apply to preaching that apply to us. And so I thought I'd share them with you this morning. And the first one is just that uh, admonition in verse two, preach the word. Now, I want you to notice what Paul has done here. He says, first of all, in the presence of God, now, that's supposed to give you a feeling of you're in a holy environment, in God's presence. It's supposed to communicate something pretty serious in the presence of God. But now, if that weren't enough, and of Jesus Christ, then he says, who will judge the living and the dead. So if you weren't just impressed by God's presence, now God's presence as the judge of the living and dead, uh, and in light of his Appearance that is the second coming of Christ and then he says and in light of the coming kingdom. I mean he's starting to pile up all these reasons for giving the command and then he finally gets to the command preach the word. You see the deal is preaching is a big deal. Preaching is a big deal. It's such a big deal that whenever we preach, we're to think of ourselves as in the presence of God. We're to think of ourselves as, you know, this God is going to judge the message that we deliver. We're gonna face him someday. This, this message that we, that we preach, someday the second coming of Christ, someday the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's gonna reveal all this. to us. So preaching the word of God is a big deal. And I think that's the first thing That we can draw as an application here this morning. The preaching of the word of God. Let me put it this way. The preaching of God's word is God's word. And that's why it's such a big deal. That's why it's so important to us. The preaching of God's word is God's word. I like the way Brian Chappell puts it, or has put it, in the Gospel Coalition National Conference in 2009. He quoted Martin Luther, the reformer, as saying, the church is God's mouth house. Isn't that an interesting statement? The church is God's mouth house. I suppose that makes us the word heard. I'm thinking about t-shirts, you know? The church is God's mouth house it's like the poem we learned as children with a little adaptation isn't it here's the church here's the steeple open it up and god speaks to his people chapel explained how this worked by describing a youth pastor's experiment. What he did was put some chairs in a circle, and there was about 75 to 100 kids there, so it was a fairly large circle. And then right in the center of the circle, he had a single chair. And on the chairs in the circle, he had put little Bible verses, just little snips of Bible passages in places and what he was going to do is invite students to sit in that individual chair and they were going to share some of their life story and some of their testimony and then you were supposed to look in your chair and if you had a verse that you thought applied to your particular life situation you were supposed to just stand up and read that verse out loud. Well they got started and they were reading a couple of these passages and some kids get in and you know they're typical teenagers and they're not particularly deep necessarily and things were going along well until one young lady said, Sat down in the chair and she said, I'm so miserable. I don't know if I can stand living anymore. Silence. I mean, all of a sudden the mood in the room changes. And people began to look at their verse. And one of the students stood up and said, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. She says, then why is it that it seems like nobody cares for me. And then somebody looked at their verse, and they happened to have Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And she said, but you don't understand. My parents have just kicked me out of the house last night, and they've told me never, ever to come back. And then somebody read Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, the youth group took practical measures to deal with the issues involved in this young girl's life. But at the end of that account, at the end of that evening, somebody came up to the youth pastor and said, Wouldn't it be great, Pastor, if God spoke to that, us that way all the time? Don't you get it? He does. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. And that's why it's such a big deal. And that's why when Pastor Rick or Pastor Jason or anybody that stands in this pulpit, that's why when we open the passage here, we're not trying to give you little homilies. We're not trying to give you little stories. We're trying to get you into Scripture because we know the closer to Scripture we get, the more you're likely to hear the direct voice of Jesus. And have you ever heard it? I bet you have. Somebody will be preaching along and it'll just seem like that word was meant for me. That's Jesus talking to me. And the preacher disappears. The personality just disappears. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. And that's why it's so important. Well, that's the first application I see here, but it brings me real quickly to a second point, and we've already hinted at it, but let me just make sure it's clear. The preaching of, the, of God's word not only is his word, it works. <laughs> scripture works. And I can say that because in verse two, you see those last three words there, correct, rebuke, and encourage? Those are operative terms. That's what scripture does for us. That's how it works. It corrects us, doesn't it? It's not that the preacher corrects you is that you've placed yourself under the authority of scripture and you find your life corrected. Scripture rebukes you. It's not that necessarily the preacher has to get red in the face or to point his finger in the air or to do any kind of, that's not, it's simply if we preach scripture, you find, we find ourselves rebuked on those needful occasions, don't we? And Scripture encourages us. It speaks to us that word of encouragement just when we need it and we hear it as Jesus speaks. Scripture works. I was checking commentaries on this passage and. One of the famous uh, commentaries on the New Testament is a set by William Barclay. It's been around for a long time now, but I was really interested to see what William Barclay had to say about this passage, and he uh, referred to a book that just describes passage after passage after passage or story after story after story of how Scripture literally changed people's lives without them even anticipating it, without them even wanting it. One story, for example, a man who had been reared in a country where he was taught to hate Christians and Christianity and he bought a New Testament in order to take it home and to burn it in his fire at home. When he got home, he threw the New Testament in the fire to burn it and it wouldn't burn. And the reason it wouldn't burn, he's decided as well, it's because, you know, it's a thick book. And so I need to just sort of begin to rip some pages out. And if I throw pages in, it'll rip out. So he ripped some pages out, threw it in. And then the pages that were behind the pages he ripped out turned out to be the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the passages said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And it immediately caught his attention. He'd never read anything like that in his religion in his faith, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he sat down and he began to read and he read and he read and he read on into the night and the next morning he stood up and he said before nobody in particular, I believe. Scripture works, it works. When we put ourselves under the teaching and the preaching of scripture, it changes our lives. Uh, when I say pre- scripture works, though, I, I, I don't want to give you the wrong idea. It's not like you have to remember. I mean, can you remember the last sermon you heard? I, I, can't, I can barely remember the last sermon I preached. Rick and I have talked about that on occasion. It's, we've got so much going on up here. We forget, don't we? It's not like we're asking you to remember the points. It's not like we're necessarily asking you to write all the stuff down, although many of you do that, and you do that very faithfully, and that's very faithfully, and that's helpful. But that's not all that I'm talking about here. It's more like, the story of the elderly widow on frontier days and she was down by this stream and uh, the way they used to do their wash was they would go down and they had these sort of sieve like things little strings across it and they would they would put uh, their clothing on it usually woolen clothing and they would they would dip that in the water and they would wash it and then this the water would sort of stream through while she was doing that the old methodist circuit rider came through and she said to him just looking up from her work well hello reverend smith And he said, you know me? And she said, yeah. I heard you preach not too long ago. Really? And then he started asking those preacher questions. He wanted to measure results, you know, typical preacher. How did I do? Was it a good sermon? Do you remember the topic? Remember what I spoke on? When was it? What what day was I in town? She couldn't remember any of that. She says, preacher, I got to tell you, my mind is like this sieve that I'm using. It doesn't hold much of the water that comes into it. But that does not mean that what isn't in there hasn't been cleaned. Do you get it? You may not always feel it. You may not even notice the change that comes over you at first with the preaching. You, and how does this sermon apply to me? You may forget a lot of things, but as you consistently place yourselves under the scriptures, under the teaching, under the preaching of the word, your life is transformed. You and I are changed. Scripture is works so preach the word Paul says and then he says a third thing here this is a little harder to receive verses three four and five he says the preaching of God's word sorts us out now I don't know if you notice verse three he says there's going to come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine people what people well those people out there for sure right Those people that don't go to church, right? They're not gonna put, no, 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 no. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to a group just like us. And he's saying, there are people that are sitting right here in our group, in our churches. And some of those people get to a place where they won't put up with it. And then he says a little later on, he says, then they're going to gather to themselves teachers that tell them things they want to hear. Is any of that going on today? Do you think people are gathering pastors and teachers and attending churches that they hear things that they really want to hear? They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be changed. They just want to hear what they want to hear. They want to be affirmed in the direction that they're going. Paul says that's going to happen. It's going to happen in churches like this. And then verse 4, he says, and then eventually, the end of the process, they will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll start following myths. And they'll start going down and they'll believe fables. They'll believe anything. And one of the reasons I think, I'm just expressing an opinion here, one of the reasons I think there's so many religions in the world today is because, and some of them are pretty spooky and a little scary, because of this process. People looked at the word, it got uncomfortable. They began to move away from it and they wanted to hear something else. And then finally they opened themselves that they will just believe anything. And that's what the Apostle Paul says happened. Now, Timothy Keller, Tim Keller, uh, calls this group the hairy mud group. I don't know if you uh, ever watched, I'm dating myself now, okay, I know this. I don't know if you ever watched the original Star Trek series, and some of you younger people, you can turn this off unless you see reruns on TV. But there was, a, there was a, a one show in the, in the Star Trek series, uh, a character named Harry Mudd uh, was on this planet, and this planet was filled with androids. Uh, There were something like 500 Oscars, those were the male androids, and there were something like 500 Alices, those were the female androids, and they would always do everything you asked them to do. I mean, anything you wanted, you either asked Alice or Oscar, and they would do it for you, they were at your beck and call. Now, in this story, uh, Harry had uh, kind of amused himself, there was only one person on the planet that would ever dare say no to him, it was a little statue of his wife, Stella, Stella and he kept her in a closet and every now and then he'd pull her out of the closet and as soon as she'd come out of the closet she'd be in scolding him and pointing her finger at him and you know begin to do and he would just simply and he got great joy from doing this guys you wouldn't understand this I'm sure he would just say shut up (laughs) or wives shut up and the statue Stella just stopped and he thought that was so cool That anytime he just said, anybody that contradicts you, wouldn't you love to be able to do, shut up. And they just stop. That's what people do with scripture. That's what some people do with scripture. When they hear something they don't want to hear, it becomes like Harry Mudd's statue of his wife, Alice, or Stella. And when it doesn't say something that they like, they just say, shut up. And any of a hundred thousand ways. That's the first group that's being described here. Paul says be careful. What are you to do in light of that, he says to Timothy? Well, in verse five, he describes a second group. And as a pastor reading through this, I I want you to notice that these are all action verbs. These are hard work words. He says you in spite of what everybody else is doing, I want you to keep your head. That literally means stay sober. We talk a lot about alcohol in Christian culture, but we don't talk so much about staying sober in terms of receiving the scripture. Well, this means sobriety when it comes to scripture. You're being drunk when you move up into verses three, four, and five. You're being inebriated when you live in that world. That's not reality, that's not the reality that Paul wants us to have. He wants us to stay sober. He says, I want you to keep your head. No matter what's going on in the world, you preach the word. And then he says, I want you to endure hardship. It's not gonna be easy. I want you to endure hardship as you preach the word. Uh, Whatever people say, people are gonna lose jobs. Churches are gonna find themselves smaller sometimes in certain cultures. There could even be outward persecution. You endure hardship, do the work. He says, now Timothy's spiritual gift seems to include being an evangelist. Not all of us are evangelists, but whatever our gifts are, keep at it, do the work. No matter what goes on in society around you, obey the word and do the work. Be what God has called you to be. And then he says, discharge all the duties of uh, of your ministry. So the preaching of God's word sorts us out, but it isn't necessarily an easy thing. Sometimes it means standing up where we don't want to stand up, and sometimes it means choosing the hard way when we'd rather choose the easy way, but that's a part of the application, isn't it? We place ourselves under the preaching of the word. We expect it to work, and we expect it to work when we apply ourselves to the way it works. I I like the way my grandmother put it one time. She wrote in the margin of my Bible right after I gave my life to Jesus, She wrote in the margin of my Bible. She said, it's an old saying, either this book will keep you from your sins or your sins will keep you from this book. And that's true. That is absolutely true. And then that brings me to the fourth point. And to get that, let's go back to verse one again. Remind ourselves. Uh, This is all describing uh, realities that I'm not familiar with. I mean, I know a little bit about the presence of God as you do. We we do that when we worship. But this whole deal of judgment and the whole deal of Jesus' second coming and the whole deal of the kingdom of God, you know, those are pretty far out, ethereal, heavenly kinds of things. Points us to another world, doesn't it? And that's what the preaching of the scriptures do. The preaching of God's word. Typically, reminds us that this life is not the only life we live. There's another life. There's another world. And those heaven realities, heavenly realities, we need to remember. We live in a dark world, don't we? There are wars. There are suicide bombings. There are kidnappings. There are frightening economies. You turn the news on, all you see is darkness, 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 darkness. And it's easy to get lost in this dark world. It's easy to lose our way. When I was a little boy, maybe I shouldn't tell you this, I don't know if you have a problem with this, but we used to read comic books. Now certain ones, you can't just read them all. We used to swap comic books and we'd sit out under this big oak tree in my front yard, huge yard, big oak tree. All the guys in the neighborhood, we'd gather and we'd share, we'd share our comic books. And I can still remember there was an advertisement in one of those comic books. You guys ever see any of these advertisements? It was for X-ray glasses. You're supposed to be able to put these glasses on and see through stuff, Yeah, I don't know what it was we wanted to see through in particular, but there was just something magical about being able to put on those X-ray glasses and be able to see another world. Paul says in another place about scripture, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. Now stop for a minute. How else would you get information into your brain? You either see it, or you hear it, or you dream it up, you think it up. And Paul says, you couldn't have seen it, you couldn't have heard it, you couldn't have imagined it, the things that God has prepared for us, unless they were revealed. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things that are revealed to us by the spirit of God and preachers who stay close to the word of God share those things with you. In the months before his execution by the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in one of his journals, he says, I fear that Christians who stand with only one leg upon earth will also stand with only one leg in heaven. Now, what he was trying to do was to correct those kinds of Christians that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And so he wanted us to be firmly implanted right here in the world that we inhabit, the world we live in. I get that. But I think the opposite is equally true. I think unless Christians stand with one leg in heaven there'll be a very little value to anything that happens here on earth it's what wise old Vance Havner used to say it's because they have no invisible means of support Do you have a leg in heaven that's what scripture gives you that invisible means of support George Mueller, who lived in England over a century ago, was famous for his work with orphans. It was a difficult, hard work. He was once asked, Well, what keeps you going at this work? How have you been able to do it so long? As we begin each new day, he explained, Often the welfare of our families, the prosperity of our work, and our services for Christ rush to occupy first attention. And then he says, in my experience, I have found that the most important thing to be attended to is God's word. Other things may press upon us. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims on us. But I deliberately repeat, he says, it is of supreme importance that we attend to God's word. In scripture, as nowhere else in our souls, we have a rich, divine, imperishable, and eternal treasure. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else can sustain us in our way. I think Paul would agree. I think that's why he encourages Timothy to preach God's word and that's why he encourages us to receive it because he knew that the preaching of God's word is God's word and that it works and that it sorts us out by challenging us in those areas we don't want it to interfere and it provides us with a sure and certain invisible means of support. I know you're in love with God's word, that's why you're here every Sunday. So I just give you these words to encourage you along the way. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, uh, these are your people. Uh, I watch them in ABFs, I watch them in their Bible studies, I watch them in small groups, I see them Sunday after Sunday. Lord, I know that they're engaged in personal private Bible study. I know many of them are teachers and Lord, I know you've brought us a long way as a congregation. And so, Lord, this is just a sermon to remind us this morning that what we're doing is of value and that what we're doing is important and that what we're doing is right on target with your will for our lives. And so we thank you for the kind of church you've made us to be. This is your grace that you've given to us. And God, would you please bless us as a congregation? Never let us depart from your word. Keep us ever faithful, ever close to you, so we can give you the glory through the lives it causes us to live because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.